<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. He's now the focus of a sensational story in Scotland. A Rhode Islander suspected of faking his death to run from the law, then arrested a couple years later in the UK, claiming to be someone else. Before that, Nicholas Alaverdian had been on the news a few times years earlier as an advocate for child welfare reform. And in the months before the COVID pandemic, he was reaching out to news reporters again with what later certainly appeared to be a sham story about himself. From WJAR in Providence, Rhode Island, this is NBC 10 True Crime International Mystery. Well, I'm talking today with former NBC 10 I-Team reporter and my former colleague Parker Gavigan, who had dealings and interactions with Nicholas Alaverdian uh, a couple years ago in the time around his supposed death in Rhode Island. Parker, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Brian. Uh, before we get back kind of into your history there, just tell me what you make of the news over the past few months with uh, this man in Scotland who they allege to be Nicholas Alaverdian, who you were led to believe had died a, a few years ago in Rhode Island. Yeah, it's a, it's a wild story. I mean, truly is. Uh, you know, I don't think uh, anyone would believe it. It's, it's straight out of Hollywood. Uh, the fact that that COVID happened and he appears in a in a hospital in Scotland and then the authorities grab him. I mean, it, it's it's unreal. Um, and now just take me back to how it all started with you and him uh, back a few years ago when you were working here at NBC 10. Yeah, so it was uh, it was in early 2020 um, before COVID and he had reached out. He said that he he had cancer and was dying. And um, I, I could tell that he was sort of making the rounds. He was talking to other media. Um, and so at the time, I remember uh, we published a story uh, because he was a, a child welfare advocate over the years. Uh, I remember uh, I remember publishing a story on our website that he was dying of cancer. However, at the time, or shortly thereafter, he reached out again and he sort of pitched it. He pitched a story to me that he had uh, been abused, assaulted by a now prominent Rhode Island politician and sort of wanted to get this story off of his chest before he died. Now, he claimed he was living overseas. He claimed he was living in Russia, uh, but could meet us somewhere in Europe if we flew, met him, and interviewed him. Uh, and so he was pitching hard, uh, really gave me a hard sell uh, to uh, put together this story before his supposed death. And at that time, was there any reason to, to doubt whether he was actually sick or, and again, like with any somebody trying to pitch a story like that, obviously you'd probably start with a lot of skepticism, but what did you think of him at that point? Well, it was, it was tough. 
it, it was tough to say at the time. I, I, I obviously had a lot of skepticism about his accusations. I think, you know, anybody who, who is a journalist, I mean, you've got to, you've got to look at things uh, in that way uh, to get to the truth. Uh, I didn't suspect that he was dying. I didn't think that anybody would necessarily make that kind of news up. Uh, but we clearly had uh, some doubts about his story and what he could prove. Would it just be his word um, against that against that politicians? Uh, and what could he prove? Uh, I clearly expressed that to him. He was upset. Uh, he really uh, was pushing for this story hard. Um, and, and that's where we left it. Um, that's where we left it. And that's when the world shut down and, and we sort of forgot about Nicholas Alabertian for a time. But you would let it be known that you weren't going to go meet him in Europe. Yeah, I, I let him know that uh, he wasn't happy. I mean, he, he, he was persistent. He was pushy. He, uh, you know, claimed he had evidence, but he wouldn't really tell me what it was. It, it, there just wasn't enough there for us to, to make a trip to Europe uh, on a whim. And at that point, did you think that was the end of it? Or, and then did, was there some other contact uh, later on? Well, I, I'll say this. Uh, prior to his death, uh, he did put a woman on the phone with me who had a, a British accent. He claimed he, uh, he claimed he got married, met a woman in, in Europe, uh, and got married, had a few kids. And he, he, at the time, you know, he claimed he was dying and he was in Russia, but he did put it, he did put someone else on the phone that he claimed was, was his wife, Louise. So I did have a conversation with this supposed Louise. Uh, and again, she was, uh, I don't want to say that she was advocating for the story. It was more like he was, he wanted me to have this conversation with her um, to talk more about the, the personal side, his family life, his children. Although he never, he never named his kids and he never told me how old they were either. Um, and then is Louise the one who then reached out to say he had died? Is that how it worked? Yeah, I kind of forget exactly how it worked out. I whether we got an email from her directly, whether I got an email from her directly. Uh, they had put up this uh, Aliverdian family office prior to his his death. So press releases were, if I'm not mistaken, I think the the original press release about his cancer diagnosis came from the Aliverdian office, which I, I found odd. It was definitely strange. I mean, who has a family office who isn't like a, you know, a, a wealthy person uh, doing, you know, philanthropy work? It was it was odd. Yeah. So I, I feel like we got an email from the Aliverdian family office saying he had died. And Louise also reached out about that time wondering if I could offer uh, some kind words, condolences to a website, really a tribute for, for Nicholas. And 
was that I, I guess and what was her personality like it, it this is the person and did you speak to her on the phone again or I don't know if you remember or was it kind of the same as as before when he put her on the phone I don't think at that time after his his alleged death that that I spoke to her on the phone I think that was all through if I remember correctly that was all through email and her demeanor at the time was uh, it was it's it I mean the the words on on the screen I mean it, it all sounded real it sounded she sounded like she was a, a widow and and saddened and um you know looking for um an outlet for that grief and and putting together a uh a, a tribute page of of sorts uh but as sort of the days progressed and i hadn't done that she became more persistent and i could tell agitated uh and sort of came at me with the same persistence that he had uh when he was pitching his story to us so probably not surprising in uh my interactions with the person in Scotland who says he's Arthur Knight, there's been a lot of emails, a lot of phone calls, um, a lot of back and forth. Why don't you look into that? Why I have documentation on this, but um, does, does that all sound like it fits the same MO? To the T, Brian, to the T. And listen, I've heard, I've heard the interviews with Arthur Knight. I spent a lot of time on the phone with Nicholas Alaverdi. Arthur Knight has the same cadence to his voice. It's there's no doubt in my mind that's the same person. Right. And then, and then again, that's from you talking on the phone and now seeing there's now been multiple uh television interviews. Uh we did uh, did one with us and and in, in the UK he's done some now as well. Um yeah, you you think it's it's not the accent, but the, but the way he talked that, that has you convinced? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, the guy has a British accent. That's clear. But the cadence of his voice, the rhythm of his voice, identical, identical to Nicholas Alaverdia. Um, When you saw that he had popped up in Scotland, now the, the, uh, the Providence Journal had done a story uh, a, the year in the middle that police suspected that he might have faked his death. So was it all surprising when he, when they said he popped up in school? Have you been hearing about that as well? Uh, him popping up in Scotland uh, was a surprise. Uh, you know, a year after his his alleged death, uh, rumblings had had started to uh, to come out that that he faked his death. I had talked to law enforcement in that year in Rhode Island, uh, and they they believed he had faked his death. Uh, we hadn't reported that. I I at the time we did we, we just didn't have enough to to put a story together. Um, but I did I did have conversations with law enforcement that uh, be, they believed he he faked his death. Um, they believed that he was, uh, you know, possibly if he if he lived in the United States that he might even show up at his own at his own funeral and later on that summer of 2020 well the when the world and, and the state everybody was in lockdown these two 
uh, funeral events got moved, canceled, pushed aside. Uh, law enforcement thought that he was so narcissistic that he might try to show up at his own funeral and see what, uh, see and, and uh, the procession and listen to, uh, you know, these glowing eulogies that, that folks might have to say about himself. Right. And, and evidently they, they did try to plan a couple of funerals that, that in the end got, got scrapped when, when the state police reached out to the churches. Yeah. 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 They, they definitely got trapped. Uh, but it, yes, it was when he popped up in Scotland uh, in a hospital uh, stricken with COVID, it was, yeah, it was a surprise. I think uh, law enforcement just, you know, thought he went underground and didn't know where exactly um, where he was. And at the time of his supposed death, I think we've come to learn now that uh, law enforcement in a couple of other states was looking for him. Um, did you get the sense that uh, at that time, in, the, in that middle period of time, that, that law enforcement was letting that on as well, that he, he potentially faked his own death uh, to escape authorities in other states? Because I think from the outside, you were like, you know, most of us probably would have been like, why, why would he do such a thing? Right. I, I think, yes, it, we did learn that later on that, that there were some uh, charges that he faced out West in Utah. Uh, and that, that was a likely reason that he skipped town. Um, and then when you saw that, you know, again, that, that news in Scotland before hearing his voice, you know, it was so hard to get a good picture of him. He was always wearing a hat. He had a mask on. Um, what went through your mind as to, uh, again, having dealt with this person on the phone uh, a couple of years prior that now he's th the focus of an in a sensational international story? Yeah, you're right. It was di it was difficult to uh, to get a good look at him uh, because he was always covering his face, whether it was the beard and the, the oxygen mask and the hat and He's in the wheelchair and he's hunched over. Uh, but I will say your interview with Arthur Knight, where he he's able to take off that mask and you can you can get a, a clearer look at his face. And when you juxtapose that with Nicholas Aliverdian from some of the video that we have of him, I'd say that's a pretty good match as well. But what was striking to me was the voice, despite the accent, despite the, the British accent his voice. And this is somebody who I spent uh, hours on the phone. With. I mean, when I, when I tell you, I couldn't get this guy off the phone, I really couldn't get him off the phone. I, I literally would have to make up excuses and say, you know, I'm sorry, I, Nick, I've got to go. I've got to go. So when I heard his voice, uh, it was so clear to me that this is Nicholas Aliverdi. Right. And, and the phone calls I've had with Arthur Knight, supposedly in, in Scotland, it's again, the phone calls don't usually last any less than 20 to 30 minutes. Um, you know, and, and again, you're right. It's he'll talk on the phone for, for a long time. Uh, and he seemed to know a lot about Nicholas Aliverdian's situation back here in Rhode Island and in Utah for somebody who claimed he didn't know or he, he's not that person. That's an odd uh an odd part of this. Why, why is a guy who is presumably, uh, you know, a case of mistaken identity, 
in Scotland? Why does he care so much about Nicholas Alberti in, in in terms of reaching out to media outlets in Rhode Island? Why does he why does he care so much about clearing any any supposed misinformation about Nicholas Alberti in, in Rhode Island? I mean, if you're a guy who's a, living living your best life in Scotland in a case of mistaken identity. Why do you care? Um, and so again, you said you've seen these interviews, both ours and, and the ones he's done in the United Kingdom. And in all of them, he denies that he is this Rhode Islander who's on the run. Um, it would seem that most people do not believe that. Clearly, you don't believe it either. I mean, he he's adamant. No, I don't, I don't believe him. Uh, I don't, you know, and, and again, I saw in your interview as well, you rightly asked him to show, show you his arms. You know, he, he shows you his forearms, but there's some indication there that, that some tattoos might've been removed from his forearm. Clearly from those old mug shots, he's got a sleeve of tattoos going high up on the bicep and up to the shoulder. If you're really not him, take your shirt off, put on a t-shirt. I mean, is there a reason this guy has to be in a tweed jacket and, and have a hat on? The, the other thing I have found somewhat interesting is that, you know, he reaches out to these media outlets, including us, when you don't have to do that. You know, you're someone who's being accused of, of serious crimes and Maybe I'm wrong. In your time, you know, you and I have both done this job for for a significant period of time. People who are accused of crimes like that don't usually reach out to the news to tell their story. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they do. But for him to kind of go on this media blitz and again, contacting media in the United States when he claims he's never been here um, would also seem to fit the pattern of Nicholas Alberti. Yeah. Yeah, it's super odd. Uh, and and fits the the pattern of Nicholas Alberti into a T. And again, you did this job for a while. You did lots of stories um, at the time, and it seems that you're right. You remember you're saying you remember the, the cadence of his voice at the time when, when you were going through these interactions with him. Did, it, were were you thinking that this is these are interactions or a story that I'll remember for a long time in my career? Or was it something in passing at the time? You're like, I, I don't know where this is going. And my guess is this, the, this is the end of it. Yeah, more the latter. I think it was just, uh, it felt like, it, you know, this is something that would, would pass. Um, I really didn't, didn't think too much of it. And, um, you know, when, when COVID hit and the, the world shut down and our lives changed dramatically, I, didn't, I really didn't think I would, hear the name Nicholas Alavertian again or, or predict that it would it would go in this direction that it's gone, which is just straight out of Hollywood. It's just such a strange, bizarre story. Really. Right. Those conversations with him though left a mark that you you know you remember the way he talked and and the pattern and the and the style now a couple of years later. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think look, I think if you spend you know the amount of time that I spent with him on the phone, listening to him, because 
95% of those conversations were one way, him talking, me listening. Uh, yeah, I have a, I, I feel like I have a pretty good sense of, of what he sounds like. And, and I'm by no means the close, by no means the closest, uh, you know, to him. I was just a, a reporter at the time. So I know that there are, there are those who have spent years and, and more than a decade with him and around him and had conversations with him that I'm sure would, would also say the same thing that, that Arthur Knight uh, sounds really, really similar to Nicholas Alverdi, despite the accent. All right, Parker, we'll leave it there. I want to thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, of course, we'll, we'll see what happens next in this saga. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, real interesting stuff. Stay on it. In the years before his supposed death, Nicholas Alaverdian was also no stranger to investigators at Rhode Island State Police. Troopers were looking for him, but could not find him. You'll hear about their interactions with Alaverdian, investigators' thoughts on his disappearance, and their suspicions when an obituary for Alaverdian popped up. All on the next NBC10 True Crime International Mystery.